Well, at the beginning of the year, I'm taking some extra time to put into context what we're doing, because that's very, very important. We have a larger plan here, uh, just, and just as you can appreciate the sovereignty of God, if you can relate to the larger plan, you can see the meaning of your circumstances and the purpose of your circumstances, so too it, it means something to people that the particular sermons that they're hearing do have a context. Now, last week, um, you heard how this 10-year journey came about and, and how uh, God wanted us to go on to spiritual maturity as a congregation and what the plan was for that. This year begins our eighth year, and then next year our ninth, and, and finally the year 2000 will be the last year in this leg of the journey. Don't even ask what's coming after that. Um, but this year, as a result of last year, as a result of holiness, the natural, practical result of holiness is really two things, worship and service. Those are the two activities we will be doing forever in heaven. It says that in Revelation. We'll serve God night and day, and we will worship God night and day. And so therefore, these two years are really together. This year, we're going to concentrate on training everybody for ministry. Now, you probably already have a ministry, but you may not know it's a ministry. Any way you help people, any way you serve people, um, is or can be a ministry. Some of you will be called in a ministry, ministries you had never anticipated. I mean, God is just going to put his hand on you this year, and you're going to find yourself doing, you're going to say to yourself in December, if I'd have known this in January, I would have run for a country church, just a nice little country. No, you won't. You'll love it. But you will, you'll be surprised at what God calls you into. Some of you, though, will be doing exactly what you're doing now, only it will have the power and the grace of God flowing through you the way it is not now. Now, <clears throat> and then, of course, we're extending this in, into next year because next year is worship. Uh, and, and, and so uh, we will be doing the same things, doing the same training, only emphasizing as unto the Lord. Now, this year, though, before we start all of this practical training, we want to make sure that everybody understands the difference between serving people and ministry. You see, many, many people, practically everybody I, wants, I know wants to be a good person. They want to do people good. There are a lot of wonderful good people who are not Christians at all. Matter of fact, there are a lot of wonderful people I suspect don't believe in anything, but they still want to be good people. And they still want to just do nice things for folks. And that's great. That's absolutely great. But a Christian has the opportunity for something that other people don't have. And that is to do what they do in the power of God because it came from God. Remember that scripture? We love because he first loved us. And it leads to God. It results in the glorification of God. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. <clears throat> Excuse me. In other words, it begins and ends in worship. And so before we begin this long year of training for ministry, very practical applicational stuff, we're going we're gonna, to, as, as the old song says, let's begin at the very beginning, a very good place to start. Let's begin with a message about worship. Now, worship is tough to preach on. Because uh, Eleanor and I were commiserating uh, last night. Um, Eleanor does the children's sermon. 
And, and worship is tough to preach on because, because worship is kind of like romance. As soon as you start to analyze it, it kind of goes away. There's a, there's, a, there's a mystical sense to worship, and you can't really analyze it too much. All you can do is recommend it to people. I really recommend both. I, re- I recommend worship, and I recommend romance. It has a lot of the same qualities. So what I'd like to do tonight is like to show you that life is about so much more than details. Because when you get caught up in the activities of ministry, and churches do this all the time. For, for decades, churches have been, have been building people to think that Christianity was all about activity. It was all about church programs. More programs the church you're involved in, better Christian you are. Well, how silly is that? There's something more. There is the ministry that flows in your normal life. So, so worship is that quality that fulfills, literally fulfills, obedience to God. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what Jesus said in the great commandment. In Genesis, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 22, we can read it in red and white, because the Pharisees come to Jesus, they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? We know There's 600 commandments, 600 laws. What's the greatest one of them? We don't want to miss the big, the big one. And the one that Jesus said, the one he pointed out as the great commandment, wasn't an activity at all. It was an intimacy. It wasn't about what you did. It was about how well you loved. And this is what he said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You know what your soul is? Your soul is who you really are and who you'll be forever. Yeah, all, all kinds of things can happen to your body and to your mind, but the soul is who you really are. That's, that's the part that goes on forever. With all your soul and with all your mind, this is the great and foremost commandment. Now, it is great not only in its importance, but in its order. This is why Jesus gave it to them. Because what they wanted was activity. We are very comfortable with activity. You give me a list of stuff to do, baby, I'll do it. I just got, I check that thing down. I just got, because I can control that. And we love stuff we can control. That's why so many people think, think that they can earn their way to heaven or hope that they can. Because see, that's something we can control. That's something we can do. But Jesus said this, I know you people. I know your tendency. And your tendency is to get lost inactivity and forget the purpose. How many of you live your lives right now in lists and you go from one list to another and you get up every day and I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. And really your life is made up of parts and you can't tell which are the most important anymore. The most important is the next one on the list. You can't differentiate the big picture you're losing the meaning of life, you're losing the the, the purpose in life because you're saying well You know, parts is parts. I just got to get the parts done. That, by the way, is the scientific approach. And it has some virtues for efficiency, but practically no virtue for understanding the meaning of life and remembering the meaning of life. I'm dealing with a couple of questions right now that I'm sure that, that you all would be dealing with also. First of all, I don't know how many of you are, uh, um, are, are, 
thinking through this whole cloning thing. Some of you just reject it out of hand, and some of you say, well, what's the, I mean, what's the difference between that and, and other ways to help couples conceive? And, and uh, I, I'm really trying to think this through, because uh, so I know that this is going to come right to the doorstep of the church in the near future. And they're, they're going to say, what's God think about this? And, and I want to be able to give a scriptural and an intelligent and a compassionate answer. And so I'm thinking about, well, what is the central part? How does God make people? And what does it take to make a person? And what is a person? And I'm, and I'm, and I'm thinking through uh, uh, the issues of what, what's the difference between activity and ministry. And I'm thinking through the issues of, of reorganizing the church. Folks, I don't, I don't know if you realize we've got to completely reorganize this church. This is, the, this is one of the smallest services we have. Look at Look around. Uh, and and we got to add services like crazy, and and my wife won't let me preach anymore of the services. And and so we've got to reorganize, and, and we can't just reorganize into a more efficient operating ministry. We've got to go back to what is the central point of ministry? What is the central point of the church? What really is? There's a life beyond organization that transcends organization. What is that thing? Well, I've been reading different material. And, I, and, and listening to different teaching tapes. I love to listen to teaching tapes. I love especially to listen to teaching tapes of people who are not Christians for two reasons. First of all, all truth is God's truth. And second of all, I love to hear these brilliant people kind of stumble into the kingdom of God and not know it. Right now, right now I'm listening to um, a teaching tape of uh, John Searle. Uh, this is a, a series of 12. Uh, John Searle um, is one of the foremost philosophers in the country. And, he, and he, gave, he has a series of teaching tapes called The Philosophy of the Mind, where he's trying to really figure out how a mind works and therefore what is a person. Very, very uh, uh, um, relevant to what, to, to what I'm trying to work through here. And uh, John Searle was, was educated at Oxford University. He's brilliant. Um, he's, he teaches at uh, University of California at Berkeley, that famous conservative institution. <laughs> And uh, not, a, not a believer, but, uh, but a brilliant man. And he is a, he is a foremost expert in, in cognitive science. That's a fairly new science that incorporates uh, an interdisciplinary approach, not only philosophy and, of course, psychology, but anthropology, linguistics, um, neurobiology, and computer science. All of them working together to find out what a person is. <laughs> well, it's kind of fun listening to all of the detail that they go into and all of the kind of the rabbit trails they take um, and, and how immersed they are in the minutia of life. Thinking, as, as, as physics thinks, that, that the meaning of life is, is really um, can be found in the smallest components of life. Uh, I'm reading another book concurrently, uh, by Lawrence Krauss, who is the, the uh, uh, head of the physics department at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, uh, who wrote a book called The Physics of Star Trek. Isn't that a cool thing? And, he, and he's trying to figure out, you know, if we really could like beam people up, what, what would that do? If we, what, would, what would that entail? If we could dematerialize somebody, what would we dematerialize them into? What would be the smallest bits? Would we dematerialize them into atoms? 
and then try to get the atoms to go someplace? Or would we, would we dematerialize them into bits and, and, and shoot those bits up uh, uh, to someplace? And, and if we could do that, and here's the point, this is where I'm going. If we could do that, doesn't that mean, and we could reassemble a person, doesn't that mean that a person is no more than the sum of his or her parts? Now there's the central question. Because this is what God wants to teach us. Life is way more than the sum of the parts. Life is way more than the sum of the parts. And when you think life is just the details, when you think life is just the activities, you lose perspective. You lose perspective and you kind of come out looking maybe smarter and maybe more efficient, but not wiser. There are a whole lot of people who know a whole lot of stuff about a very little thing that are very knowledgeable, but not very wise. As a matter of fact, if they're not careful, they can look kind of foolish. I, I, I read someplace <laughs> um, some of the headlines. You, you know, Jay Leno, I, I don't stay up late enough to watch him, but I enjoy him. And, uh, and, and uh, I read someplace some of the headlines. His audience sends in actual headlines out of the newspaper. And he reads them, and they're kind of funny. And I, and I saw a list someplace of scientific headlines. And, and because I, w I knew this was coming up, this is uh, uh, um, the, the discussion of, of trying to rescue life from the minutia. Uh, I read these headlines. Let me just give you three of them. I think they're kind of amusing, and they'll make a point. First of all, actual headline. Somebody did a study on smoking and, and how it affected productivity whether or not smokers were as productive. And in the headlines of the result of that study, actual headlines in a newspaper, smokers are productive, but death cuts into efficiency. <laughs> actual headlines. There was another headline that said this. Something went wrong in jet crash, experts say. This is my favorite. Yellow snow tested for nutrition. <laughs> I don't care what they find, I ain't eating it. <laughs> but do you see how concentrating on the littlest bits of life can make you kind of lose the large picture here? And you kind of start to look silly. Well, God knew that very thing would happen to us if we were not regularly reminded of the larger picture of why we were doing what we were doing. And so there is a proper procedure for ministry. There's a proper order for ministry. And first and last always comes worship. This is not a new thing that Jesus thought up. As a matter of fact, Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you turn in your scriptures to Deuteronomy chapter 6, let me show you this to, to you. Moses had just received and delivered the Ten Commandments. That's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 5. That's one of the, one of the, one of the times that, that Moses delivers uh, the contents of the Ten Commandments. And right after those contents 
of moral laws, what we should and should not do, God calls them to a certain activity. And that activity is essentially worship. Look at what it says in verse 4. This is, by the way, the Shema. That's Hebrew for hear. And an adult Hebrew male is mandated to repeat this at the beginning and the end of every day. It says this, Hear, O Israel. Shema is Hebrew for hear. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Now I want to stop you right there and, and, and have you recognize what this has in common with romance. Romance always starts out with a connection. And the identity, the specific identity of the one you're romancing. And the more personal you can get that identity, and the more you can express the connection, the more romantic it is. Let me give you an example. Some of you men remembered when you used to romance your wife, remember before you were married? <laughs> now, some of you still do. But when you were courting her, and if you had the intention of marrying her, it would have been a dumb thing to say, just generally, to her, trying to be romantic, you know, I like girls. Now, that, that, in these, these days, that may not be irrelevant, but it's not romantic. And so it would, be, it would be not romantic to say, you know, I like girls, and, and you're a girl, and so I like you. <laughs> See, that, that's got no romantic power to it at all. No, it's only when you say, you're unbelievable, do we start to get to the romance. And so the first thing we say to God, the first element of worship is worshiping God for who he is and specifically who he is to us. We tell him stuff like this. Hero is, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. He's not like all the rest of the gods that are multifaced and multifaceted and, and here and there. He, he is one. And then the commandment comes that Jesus repeated that was the great commandment. And it says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then it says this. And these words I am commanding you today will be on your heart. And I want you to teach them to your children. And in your coming and in your going. And watch this. It says in verse 7, when you lie down and when you rise up. Now, for those of you who know very much about the Hebrew culture and calendar, the day began at dusk. That was the new day. And so when you lie down is the beginning of the day, and when you rise up is the end of the day in the Hebrew. But it doesn't matter if your day starts when you rise up and when you lie down, it still, it still fits. And what God was saying was this, that when I gave you that law, you've got to realize that that law is never fulfilled until you love and worship me, no matter how obedient you are. Let me say that again. You can never fulfill the law unless you are loving and worshiping God, no matter how obedient you are. You know why? Because religion is not about obedience, it's about a relationship. 
It's about love. It's not about activity. It's not about goodness. It entails goodness, but it's not about goodness. It's about God. And the first thing God taught his people was worship me at the beginning, at the end of every day. Obey me during, but worship me at the beginning, at the end. And that's how you can keep your perspective. That's how you know what's really important. And secondly, that's how you can keep it personal. It's not just the correct order so that you can have kind of a transcendent view of things and you won't look silly just getting all caught up in the details of life, thinking that those, are, those mean everything in the whole world. But it's also how you can keep it personal. Because when you worship God, it's the same dynamic of romance. When you tell somebody how much they mean to you, three things happen. Let me give you, let me give you an example. Many of you have been married for many years. And when I say, are you a good husband or a good wife? You immediately say, well, yeah. Which translates into, I know what to do. I know which jobs are mine. I can function in the role. Is that what it means to be a good husband or a good wife? Mm -mm. Because the main thing about being a good husband or a good wife is not functioning in the role, it's loving the person. That's the main thing. And the main thing is to focus on that person. And, 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 and let, let, let me give you an example. I know you get sick of me talking with my wife, about my wife, but I'm talking so I can talk about whatever I want to. <laughs> the other night, She's sitting, folding clothes. This woman works harder than anybody I know. And she's in the living room. She's folding clothes. And she's looking at me. And she does this periodically. Not all the time, but periodically. And she's just saying this. Hunter, you are the man. I, you are the man. You, you are handsome. You are strong. You are courageous. You are brave. You are kind. You are gentle. You are a leader. You are, you're the man. She's folding underwear. And I'm sitting there, well, thanks. <laughs> now, I know better than this. I've got mirrors in my house. I know who I am and who I'm not. But let me tell you what's happening there. Three very important things are happening there. Number one, she is adoring me way beyond reality. <laughs> but in doing so, do you know how little temptation I have of going anywhere else for appreciation. Will I ever look for somebody who really loves me and really appreciates who I am? Absolutely. I got somebody. Nobody could love me like she loves me. Absolutely nobody. She's done that for 25 years. She's getting more adoring as we go along. And, and, and it is absolutely, there is no, there is no temptation in here to look around because she loves me like that. Number two, another important thing is happening is that we were made to be expressive creatures. And we were made so that what we express is built into our lives and we are built up into that thing. And so the more she appreciates me, the more she builds up love in her heart for me the more she is 
entwined in the relationship because that's what she's expressed and that's what gets built up in her. It becomes stronger. It becomes more of a reality. Now watch. Is it an accident, do you think, that Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride? Don't you think that when the Bible says that He is the bridegroom, that we are to spend our life adoring Him and telling Him how much He means to us? Beck's love for me is a lot like God's love for us in Christ. Way beyond reality. God doesn't love us for who we are. He loves us for who He sees us as in Christ. He thinks we're way better than we are because He sees us through the sacrifice of Christ. He sees us as holy. Are you kidding me? No, it says it. He sees us as perfect. He sees us as sinless. Way beyond reality of who we really are. But that's how He sees us. And our response is to reverence Him. It's no accident that the Bible says, husbands, love your wives. It, this, isn't, this isn't easy for us. We're not natural lovers. We're not naturally gushy or anything. But neither are women naturally respectful because they know us better than anybody else. You can, you can love an idiot, but it's hard to respect an idiot. And they see us at idiotic moments. They do. And so when it says, wives, respect your husbands, man, that's tough. But watch, this is a metaphor for how we are to respect God, for reverencing God. God's never made a mistake in his life. Why should it be so hard for us to adore him and respect him and reverence him? That's our job. And as we express that worship, as we express that reverence, that's built up in us. Because we were meant to be expressive creatures. And watch, one more thing happens. Beck's working, working herself. Man, you're the man. You're cool. You're, I, I can't believe how lucky I am. This is good. Now, wouldn't you think somewhere along the line she'd go, why am I doing this? I'm working, my, I'm working myself silly here. And I'm just going, this, this, I'm, I'm all over the place. As soon as she begins to wonder that, when, she, when, when, when adoration or praise of me is a character of her life, she immediately says, I'm doing it for Hunter. I'm crazy about him. And, 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 and why I do all of this stuff around the house? It's because I love him. Now, when we all get busy with life, when we all get sucked empty with life, we start asking the same thing. But if worship is at the beginning and end of your everyday, if worship is the character of how you conduct life, you won't question why you're doing it. You'll know why you're doing it. Because I love God. And God's put me here for a purpose. I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for Him. I'm crazy about it. And so that gives you that personal connection that is so important. The same thing happens with your kids. I won't go into greatest detail there, but some of you know how to be wonderful parents as far as activity goes. Man, you had that little girl, the ballerina practice or the soccer practice or whatever. You, you take that boy and you put him, get him tutors, you give him, you give him everything. 
You, you rush him up. Boy Scouts, you, you, he's all over the place. And you're just, you're just one big taxi driver. And you're all, you're all, you're digging peanut butter and jelly out of little ears. And, and you're, 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 and di- diapers don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> and every once in a while you go, man, this is hard. Why am I doing all this? If you Focus on those kids periodically. And you say to them, you know what I love about you. This is what I see in you that I don't see in any other person on this earth. This is your gift to the world that God has given you. And you start pointing out accurate attributes that they have. You are so smart. Some of your kids aren't smart, but they're relaxed. <laughs> you can see, you're so relaxed. <laughs> you know, it's chilling. I don't, I don't know what that word means, but it relaxes me just saying it. And you can say, when you walk in the room, man, I want to be as relaxed as you are. I like that. How do you do that? Some of your kids have great senses of humor. Some of your, keep, your kids have people skills. Some of your kids are tremendous athletes. And you say, wow, this is so phenomenal. And when you say that to them, two things happen. First of all, they get a message from you. I am a gift to the world. God made me for a purpose. No child ought ever to grow up wondering if they're worthwhile. No child ought ever to grow up wondering why God made them. Every child ought to have a parent that says, I tell you what a gift you are to me, and I tell you what a gift you are to the world, and I'm just a steward of the thing. I can't wait to just let you go in the world and just absolutely have you improve the world because you're a gift to the world. And the second thing it does is it gets that kid ready for the ministry they have. And it, and it helps that person to be, to have a sense that, that God made them for a purpose. Let me show you a passage real quick. If you have your scriptures with you, turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. This is a boy who's being called into the ministry by God. And God comes to him and speaks to him, and he hears God, and he reports what God says. Starting with verse 5. These are the words of God to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Now let me ask you a question. Let me stop right there and let me ask you a question. Do you think Jeremiah is the only one that God knit together in the womb with a purpose or was consecrated before they were ever born. I tell you, every one of you who have been called to Christ have this same testimony. If you doubt me, you read Ephesians 2.10, where it says you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of works, lest any man should boast, but, watch this, that you would walk 
in the works that would that were prepared for you before the beginning of time. God has a purpose for every life in here. And every one of you and every one of your children ought to know they're no accident. God has a purpose for their life. And that's what he said to Jeremiah. And he says, I appointed you a prophet. We won't go into the prophet because not all of you are called to be prophets. Thank goodness. Prophets are, are uh, uh, scary people. You ever notice that? They just, they just get in your face tell you what's up. I, I should say this to you, though. Hardly any, any prophet ever wanted to be... Uh, n- every prophet that was appointed or called in the Old Testament said, I, I pass, I pass. Let somebody else do this. No, no real prophet really wants to be a prophet. They want to be liked. <laughs> they want to have friends. I always get a little scared when, when people love being a prophet. I, I, don't th- I don't think those are really, I think they're self-appointed. Uh, and we have a number of those. You, you wouldn't believe how many people say to me, Hunter, if you ever get tired, I'll be preaching. You, you call me, you give me one Sunday with those people, I straighten them out. I got a piece of my mind, I got a message. You know, and they're kind of hostile and they're kind of angry, you know. <laughs> well, I, I want to assure you, those are the last people that will ever get up here. You know why? Because the attitude that you have says something about the altitude from which your revelation came. The more hostile your attitude, the lower the altitude of the revelation. Usually it's just self-revelation. But uh, that's a whole other sermon. This is, you're not all called to be prophets, but you're all called. You're all appointed. And, And none of us feel equipped. I mean, 95% of you don't feel equipped or competent to do what you're doing, and the other five are just kidding yourself. (laughs) You haven't realized all of what God has for you, or you'd be scared right now. And, And that's exactly Jeremiah's story. And he looked at God and he said, Lord, I don't know how to talk. Moses said the same thing. Only Moses said, I got a speech impediment. But but Jeremiah said, I'm only a youth. And most of us, when it comes to ministry, we don't feel equipped. We said, God, I'm only a youth. I'm not not equipped. And look what God said. But God said to me, don't say I'm only a youth. In other words, don't tell the Lord that you're incompetent. He knows you're incompetent. (laughs) He made you. He sees you every day. The very point of this is that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. The very point in this is not about our competence. It's not about our skill. It's not about our personality. It's not about our circumstances. It's about God. And when God calls us into ministry, it's about his competence in us. Look at what God said to him. God says, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them. I'm with you to deliver you. Every one of us, if we're in over our heads, need that personal connection, that warm connection. Because the third point is, only there do we get our productivity. We worship not only for perspective and not only for personal intimacy, but for productivity. Because only God is competent. Only God is competent. Another book I read this week was The Faces of Huntington's Disease. 
This has not been published yet. Somebody in our congregation has written it. It's a wonderful book. Huntington's disease, I'm going to quit in a minute. Huntington's disease is a, an absolutely ravenous illness. It is a, it is a, it's a disease that is an inherited disease. It, it takes your body and, and makes it mutiny against the brain. Your, your limbs literally start to mutiny, but watch this, so does your mind. Because there are changes in your personality. There are changes in your personality. And so therefore, I'm reading about all of these heroes who, who are trying to serve and continue to be partners with people who have Huntington's disease. That would be so difficult. Those people, again, are not only incapacitated, they're given to violence, they're given to aberrations. But these people say, but that's not who they really are. Remember when I was talking about a soul? When you really love somebody a long time, you can tell who they really are no matter how they act. You can tell who they really are. I was talking with a, a woman this week whose son uh, committed suicide. And uh, she was devastated. Most of you read about this in the newspaper and saw it in the news. She was absolutely devastated. And I said, well, tell me the story. And, and for what she could get through, he did have a relationship with the Lord. And he was a kind person. But he was in a circumstance that just literally drove him over the edge. And for a short period of time, he was... Mentally incapacitated. And, and her main concern was, does him killing himself mean that he'll automatically go to hell? Please don't think that. I know that's the doctrine of a Catholic church, but it's not a correct one. Listen to this. God knows the difference between a soul that yearns for him, but has aberrant episodes and one that is rebellious and hell-bent. He knows the difference. And let me ask you this question. If there's a mother who could say, this is who my son really was, and go through the devastation of that with him, and love him, and hope for him on the other side, don't you think God's love is at least that strong? I'm not saying everybody should feel secure in suicide. I personally wouldn't want to take a chance. It's a dumb thing to do. But I'm saying this. Who you really are doesn't change with an episode here or there. God knows the difference. He's the only one that does, but God knows the difference. And so here are these people, and they're struggling to serve and minister to these other folks. And there's a story in here about a, 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 a wife who had lost her husband to Huntington's disease and her, her life is now going and helping other people with, with Huntington's disease. And she takes along with her a little seven-year-old daughter. And her little seven-year-old daughter's going and she's watching all these people and she's helping her mom the best she can. And she's listening to all the conversations and one day it hits her. And she looks up at her mama and she says, Mom, didn't dad die of Huntington's disease? And the mother knows what's coming. She says, yeah. And so the little girl says, does that mean I'll have it? 
And at that moment, the mom wants to scoop her up in her arms and say to her, no, I won't let you get it. I won't let it touch you. I'll protect you. But she knows she can't. So she looks at her and she says, I don't know. You're at risk. You may get it. But even if you do, I want you to know, I'll always be your mom. I'll always love you. And I'll always help you. And the little girl thinks for a moment, and she says, well, if I do get it, I'm glad you're my mom, because you know a lot about it. I want to tell you that's the third reason for worshiping. When we are incapacitated, when we don't know what we're doing, when we're going through the rough time, and many people say, I can't minister, I'm going through a rough time on my own. Listen, that's when you're the best. That's when you're the best. Jesus Christ was the wounded healer. He was the one who in his weakness gave us all strength. And so many times when you're at your weakest point, you're really the most valued to other people. But when we're in over our heads, the reason we worship is we go to God and say, you know what, I'm glad you're my dad. Because you know more about this than anybody else. So therefore, let's worship. Let's worship every day. We're going to be coming out in a few weeks with uh, some curriculum to help train you for ministry. Because we really care about what goes on from Sunday to Sunday. And the emphasis this year will be training every day. There's a difference between teaching and training. Teaching is conceptual, and you can learn something in an instant. You can't be trained for something in an instant. That's why the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And it uses the same word there for training dogs. It only comes from continual and repeated practice. And that's how people are trained for ministry every day. And so we're going to be coming out with a curriculum every week that you can pick up that will train you for ministry every day. But in that curriculum, there's going to be a little worship section. And I would challenge every one of us to begin and end our day with personal worship. Now, I know we're not very good at this yet, but that's, what, that's part of building this year. We want to become good at this. It's simpler than you think it would be. For example... The parts are very simple. One is just reading Scripture. Do you know how close it brings you to somebody when you quote them back to themselves? When you say, for example, you're, you're, you're cuddled up in your honey's arms and you say, you know what, when you said so-and-so, it meant so much to me. That's an act of, of romance. That's an act of intimacy. You know what, when you read the Word and you look up in God, to God and you say, oh, this means so much to me. Thank you. That's worship. Singing is worship. I know some of you have horrible voices. And I know you probably don't know who you are. <laughs> Did you ever notice that? Somebody with a tin ear have no idea they can't sing. They don't know. They, they think they're singing fine. They're horrible. But that's okay. Because God does not demand we stay on tune. He simply says, make a joyful noise. And so that's what we, we want. We want to sing. We, we want to, to uh, develop a cassette that will help you with worship songs that you can sing along. 
We want, we want, there's, there's a, the one hallelujah, that'll help you right now. That's, that's out on cassette and, and, and CD and you can put it in your car and you can worship God as you go down the street by singing along. There's something that happens inside you with song that can't happen any other way. And, 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 and we want everybody to just be able to go in the room and just sing to God. And if the only song you know is Kumbaya, let it loose. You know, <laughs> Kumbaya. It feels a little funny, but it's worship. Praise is worship. Adoration is worship. If the first thing you do when you get up, you say, God, you know why I like you? And you just, you give a, a, a couple of things that mean something. That's worship. It's simple, but it's worship. And then we serve. Pray with me. God, thank you for all that you have given us, but especially the privilege of worship. Especially the personal relationship that is so much like romance. Help us, Lord God, to not get so enamored and so busy and so filled with the details that we lose perspective, and that we lose our personal relationship with you because then we lose our productivity. Help us, Lord God, to begin and end in worship always and to love you and glorify you and enjoy you forever in everything. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.